dead in winter Would bring you down forever But you rode upon a steamer To the violence of the sun not only much overused among our people, but used incorrectly, or at least lazily as well. That said, I'm all for spending more time among legends, but in the original and better use of the word, the legend of Paul Bunyan, say, or the legend of Led Zeppelin Hotel Capers, or the legend of Wilt Chamberlain, not simply for their story value, but to take measure of their bullshit coefficient and to maybe tease out why any given legend exists in the first place. The legend themselves may not like or need or have use for their own legend, but that's beside the point. They can wear their legend like a crown or bear it like a cross, but they can't discard it any more than Odysseus could have laid down his oars in Ithaca for a quiet life of Etsy crafty. In other words, the legend does not exist to serve the legendee. It's for the rest of us. From the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. And I'm Jamie Brewer in London. This is the Sunday Joint, where we roll up Matt Warshaw's weekly newsletter for a deep inhale of surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we dive into surfing's greatest myths, legends, rumors, and lies. We were inspired by Matt's Sunday joint a few weeks ago on January 24th, 2021, around Jock Sutherland's infamous legend of surfing Waimea Bay on acid at night. It got us thinking about how surfing is rich with these incredible tall tales and ripe for mining. And of course, Jamie and I try to prove who has superior surf knowledge with Stump, my bro. But first, we must go, Jame, to Pennon's Corner. Lord, have mercy on us. Because I must pay for some penance. <laughs> um, from our last episode, we mentioned... Uh, the Record Bar Pro, and I believe it might have been me who um, indicated it was held in New Jersey, when really it was held in Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, where the great Ben Bourgeois is from. Another surfer, by the way, we left off our East Coast greats list, apparently. I uh, got to thank um, Todd Schoen for this. He, uh, he pointed this out to us. Uh, Todd, thank you for keeping us straight and uh, stoked to hear from uh, former Azores Shredder. Uh, so great to hear from that. And then um, I also have to make up another correction because I butchered uh, Matt's, part, Matt's buddy and EOS uh, cohort. Uh, I called him Mark 
Augeus and just totally chewed up the name, spat it out. Didn't even put it in a wrapper or, or a napkin. I just butchered it. It's really Mark Auger. It's got that French thing going. So uh, Mark, apologies for that. Appreciate you uh, being cool about it. And uh, yeah, so James, myths, legends, lies, rumors, sex, duct tape, whatever. <laughs> and I was, you know, the, the guy who made sex, lies, and duct tape, that was Steve Soderbergh, right? Yes, yes. But there's also a surf film producer, Steve, surf film Steve Soderbergh. Steve, Steve Soderbergh made a Ticket to Ride, I think. You know, yeah, that yeah. He made picture a few of movies. Yeah, like what? I, but that's definitely, it's not him, is it's it? It's not him. I've, not I've, him. I actually recently confirmed that with Dustin Hood from the Surf Video Network because I asked them, they're not related. It's not the same person, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> definitely not. So. Um, I know I've always thought that I'm like, how cool would it have been like Academy Award winning director, writer, Steve Soderbergh, and he got his start making surf films. That would have well, been pretty neat. I mean, that's the thing. Some people have started out in, in surf. Yeah. And have moved on to, you know, the, the, the greater world, you know, like, um, uh, yeah, Greg McKilvery. Ah, Carter, what's his first name? Alan Carter? No, Carter, the guy. Chris Carter, who started the X-Files, and he worked at Surfing Magazine. I think he was the editor of Surfing Magazine. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, so. and uh, We can blame all the QAnon shit on him, actually, because he just softened all these minds up, basically, (laughs) for uh, conspiracy theories. (laughs) But I I have to say, I'm grateful to those who stayed with surfing and made it great and didn't leave. You know, we, you know, like we, you know, like some of those important people out there who we didn't get the brain drain, the exodus to the other world, you know, thank thank God to all of you stayed right here and contributed to your home jamie brissick gotta gotta give him a, he's one of those who stay but he's actually ventured out too actually which is kind of great but yeah there's a matt warshaw would be one of those right <laughs> he's he's stuck it out <laughs> but we're here to talk about the myths and legends and rumors which brings me to the surfer magazine uh issue october 1993 volume 34 number 10 uh with taylor knox on the cover that issue i don't know about you but it's a, it's called the greatest surf stories ever told myths legends rumors and lies that opened my mind up so much because I, I was i was into surf history i you know obviously we we all were into it but that one really got me thinking surfing in more mythological senses and and kind of heroes journeys stories these types of things and got me more into it. and i loved this issue so when matt sent out the jock sutherland uh you know myths and legends article a few weeks ago the sunday joint i just was like oh we gotta cover this yeah that is instant surf surfing like are, are there other endeavors which have kind of the the scope to have so many different legends and myths i mean like music rock and roll has got it yeah but, I, I mean a lot of sports probably have it i mean i'm sure there's cricket myths and legends <laughs> but, but why would they i mean it, it feels like surfing is perfectly set Babe up Ruth in position to, to have it 
True. But like, let's say like Babe Ruth pointing to the outfield to hit a home run and hitting it out, you know, like those are kind of the, the mythological stories that they tell. To me, they don't seem as grand as some of the surfing stories. Uh, they well, don't if, capture my imagination as much. Well, that's obvious. I mean, you're not a baseball yeah. player, but also totally. like the other thing, I mean, but what you just mentioned and what I imagined if you had a cricket story, yeah. most of those stories, where would they take place? On the field, probably. On the field. I or mean, in I'm a looking hotel. At, yeah, I, yeah, I'm looking at my list of uh, surf legends and myths and stuff like that, and a lot of them don't take place in the water, you know? Like, no. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, like, cricket, like Shane, was it Shane Warne or whatever, like, or Thor, Shane Warne, like, he was, like, mythological with all sorts of partying stories and other stuff like that. So you... I think it's in many other things, but surfing has some of the coolest and some of the most fun myth, myth stories and legendary stories and rumors and, and bullshit stories too. Yeah. Like, now, now before you, before you pull the ripcord and jump out of the plane, like yeah. <laughs> going back to what you said in the intro, by the yes. way, those were some good words you chose there. Oh, you um, chose those. I love that. You take <laughs> <laughs> don't have to over egg it man that's a nice compliment i was slipping you there what um like first of all like yeah. i think we need to figure out what exactly is what does a legend mean i i i in my head i always imagine legend to be like a, a story that is, you know is loosely based on a real event that probably has grown over time to be bigger than it is. Um, that and with a lot of times legends have morality to the stories. Not all of them, but many of them have like a like a moral to it or some sort of uh, lesson to them. Sometimes um, myths are. I mean, what would you call a myth then? You know, I mean, what's the difference between a myth and a legend then? Do you know what? I have to know this because it's something we have to teach at school. <laughs> oh, yeah? yeah I Do mean, you myth, know it? <laughs> a, a myth is something that is usually completely made up, you know, like it's, it's yeah. not really based in reality. A myth can explain certain real events, you know, like the sun moves around the planet, blah, blah, blah. Right. But you're right. I think your definition of a myth, uh, sorry, of a legend is, is perfect. Although it's one of the type, there's legends can be two yes. different things. Well, it could be describing a person, which a, which Australians love to throw out, uh, and it basically has devalued the title of legend to like nothing. You know, oh, well, no, he's but... a legend. Oh, he's <laughs> a legend. So legendary. Oh, come and meet this legend. I mean, how many times have you been introduced by an Australian and been called a legend? Like. What? I just got you a beer. Oh, legend, you know? <laughs> I, I think your Australian accent is legendary. Uh, that is true. I've been, I've been complimented <laughs> on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think this was one of those times. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. I was a loose thrown in a minute when I really give a concerted effort, I can do it. <laughs> I think, do you do a few other, okay. Did you uh, see the guy? Did I send, did Rolf, my son send that to you? Did Rolf send that? There's this guy, he's sitting on a bus and all his friends are just shouting out different accents to him and he just turns on a dime and goes right into it. No, but I wish I could do that. I have to warm up a little. 
because it's like it's hard to to go because like if someone's like give me irish and i give irish and then give, give me scottish and i give them irish again you know <laughs> or vice versa or my english will blend into australian at moments and uh i offend people so <laughs> don't worry about it don't worry about it you're beautiful the way you are oh, but thanks. but you're right it is but that is the other definition it's not just events events and stories that's one type of legend but people are legends as well and that is the definition it's in, you know an extremely famous or notorious person at, you know in a particular feel like there's legends of surfing legends of rock and roll legends of uh, biochemistry probably um and they are and that's because when, when i was trying to think of these i was like oh yeah i've, I've got loads and then i was like well actually mm, that's a very small quick story mm, that's another qu small quick story but i was like hang on a second i got five quick small funny interesting stories about the same person yeah. that guy's a legend, <laughs> is a legend. are yeah. you kidding me <laughs> are you kidding me all right jed i think we're not allowed to say that uh, that's <laughs> pay a royalty for that yeah. i know right well we're just paying homage um yeah but it's i i i think surfing is unique in the sense because there's you don't have to be in a structured game to be doing it so it it really opens it up the travel aspect to surfing and adventure travel particularly is well suited to surfing um, and, and it's attainable too, right? Like, it's not like you have to be a rock climber, you know, rock climbers, right? Like they would probably have similar myths, legends too. I would put rock climbing in there with surfing on some great myths and legends and lots of characters and lots of things that happened outside of climbing. Um, but climbing is like, you have to be pretty good to go travel for it. Whereas surfing, you can be a schmuck and not be able to surf even and travel for it to some extent and have an adventure and have like some sort of legendary story even. Well, that's uh, the thing. And that's where, you know, like, um, what that's the thing. I think you and I and people we know have had stories that are amazing you know cool fun you know interesting like or or dubious stories but because but the the other element is that it's something that you know it's a traditional story it's it's usually popular you know regarded and it gets handed down it becomes part of the bigger culture yeah and like you know like the the times when uh, <laughs> i'm not going to mention our stories but of our stories it, it's no one's talked about them but us you know and, and most people don't listen either so it's not a legend it's a legend within our own minds perhaps but i don't know i i've heard some people uh like tell stories back to me that i'm like that was me <laughs> or that was my brother and i you heard that from someone else like so but yeah legends i feel like um pervade the fabric of surfing and they influence surfing in some ways. Uh, lots of these legendary stories are retold um, to younger generations and people almost kind of relive those or try to reenact them or in inspires new uh, legends or behaviors even. Um, just case in point, like Kevin Naughton, Craig Peterson, right? Like these guys were legends but also have these legendary stories and these incredible travel stories that inspired countless other people. And they almost 
help write the rules of surf travel, or they've they influenced a whole group of travelers to be to to kind of adopt their style of traveling. Mm. Uh, so I would say that, there's something to to the legend, like the legends that stick out in surfing, they pervade in the fabric of surfing. Yes. Now the one thing that it's interesting because you mentioned those guys and 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 they did have loads of legend you know they had experiences that were worthy of legends and and you might Dude, say they had you know, legendary stories to spare yeah <laughs> except i would say that they're not they're, they're not legends their stories and i they're think stories. here's the here's the big one the big yeah. reason is that if and, and here so i i was coming up trying to come up with you know a big list of people who are legends and i know yeah. you would you totally agree with everyone and anyone who's listening to this is probably thinking of the exact same people I'm thinking of, you know, like Greg Knoll, Pat Curran, Butch Van Ortsdown, yeah. Wayne Lynch, blah, blah, blah. Jock Sutherland, of course. However, someone who should be on that list, but I don't think can be on that list is Nat Young and Nat Young. And this yeah. is not a bad thing that he's not on the list, but all the amazing Nat Young stories, and they are, you know, a dime a dozen. I mean, he's he's just, and he is a legendary guy. I'd say he's he's legendary yeah. guy, but his stories, it's it's hard to call them legends because he's told so many of them. And I think if you're the one telling the story, it's not a legend. The legend is like you're Depends not sure on how much it, you embellish. Well, no, but that's and that's the <laughs> thing. It's it's. I think it's got to be something that you know, you've heard from someone else word and of mouth. word of mouth. And it's not, you're not sure if it actually happened or not, mm. you know, then that's the thing. It's got to have some but element of doubt to it. He would be legendary though. You could call Nat oh, Young legendary and a legend. Definitely. So it Definitely. would fit yeah. into this. I mean, he's a legend, but his stories that he's told wouldn't be, but there are some legendary stories told about him that he hasn't told though. And True. those would be legendary stories, I think. So do you, did you come up with like a list here of like your like favorite legendary stories? Cause I was, I, I was so excited for this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just love talking around. Like I just kept making this list and it just kept going. And I made sub lists of some of those things <laughs> because there's stories about the stories. Cause I just, I don't know about you, but like I, Surfing to me is, uh, you know, I've always kind of fictionalized surfing in my head to a certain extent, or I treat, you know, like I, 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 I maybe project onto lots of stories, heroes journeys and rites of passage and thing elements, uh, you know, hero of a thousand with a thousand faces type of stuff, Joseph Campbell things. And I apply them to a lot of these stories and look at them that way. And and so to me, it makes it almost like, I feel like surfing, I live in my head, at least my head canon, as some people would call it. Surfing is like um, a universe for me. And I'm like world building in my head. And these myths and legends and rumors and stories are like world building and connecting things. And so it makes it more enjoyable and fun. I think of it almost like the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Star Wars, you know, that's how I look at surfing almost like it's kind of in a bubble in my head uh, you know, like, from reality yeah. to a certain extent. If you, and I, I'm sure you've read, you know, like um, if you want to hear that, like what you just said, just like so succinctly put with um, Matt's description of rabbit 
Bartholomew in the Surfer's Journal profile. Yes, because he saw himself doing this hero's journey at the time of like busting on the door. He was really into Token and, you know, Lord of the Rings. And he thought thought of himself almost as like Frodo Baggins or something, uh, which I love. And I love going through life like that. It makes everything more enjoyable to a certain, you know, like it, it really does make some mundane things feel much more uh, incredible. Like when we were kids, right? And we were, I don't know if you remember that time, one of the first times we were surfing out, I was surfing out in Montauk when I was properly surfing. And I went on that search into the coves by myself and found Cape St. Tyler, I called it, you know, a nice little break. Um, but it was like in my head, it was a whole story. It was the endless summer I was living through. I was in this almost fictionalized story of, of an adventure. Um, and I just, that's what I love about surfing is you can, you can do that. You can play with it. There's, there's elasticity to it all. Well, let's dive into them. All now right. you said you got a massive list. Like, uh, have you, like, I, I, I was trying to like think, okay, oh shit, it's getting a bit big. Yeah. I need to, um, I'm up to about 20 with some yeah. stuff. <laughs> and that's, and I thought I need to like be able to like look at it. And I thought, okay, ah, here we go. What I'll do is, um, Look at it like the old ASP tour. You know how you had the five stars, the four stars. <laughs> yeah, those, you had some of those events that people wouldn't even go to, you know? And like, is that weird? It's like I mean, QS, that... you know, QS 10,000 now or whatever, you know, they call yeah, it. Yeah, but the QS is like a different thing. Like the ASP yeah. in the 80s, you had 30 something comp competitions. And uh, uh, like you were saying in one of the episodes we were talking about once before, I think when we were talking about the Florida, uh, uh, contest like sometimes you could you could win a, a million contests but some of them would have been you know like one star two stars yeah and like they would skip them so do you want to tyler do you want to like go for like your probably should and then we could always go for your big your big ones the, the grand uh, I, I mean give me, give me one, i'm gonna pick the one. ones that are fun to talk about actually. yeah yeah um so mine Number one, actually, that always sticks out to me is Greg Knoll's Makaha wave in 1969, because it's so you don't know if it's real or not, or if it's as big as they say. And you have eyewitness accounts, but then there's the alleged Sean Thompson footage of the wave, which shows that it wasn't as big. And you hear all these very things. So for our listeners, the story is that Greg Knoll uh, apparently rode one of the biggest paddling waves of all time at the time in 1969 at Makaha and Makaha Point Break Surf. And the rumor was it was about 50 feet big. Now, Hola, you're getting way too far ahead of yourself there. I mean, first oh. of all, it's fun. This is a tricky one because it is yeah. something that for if you're someone who's been surfing for a while and reading about surfing, you th you almost think like, OK, we have to tell the story because, of course, it's probably the number one legend However, everyone, so many people know about it. However, if you don't know about it, you're like, the fuck is Greg Knoll? Yeah. You gotta tell so us Greg, who Greg Knoll is first. Greg Knoll, uh, one of the big wave pioneers of the North Shore uh, in modern surfing, uh, you know, was one of the first guys to surf Waimea Bay. He's known for wearing the black and white striped uh, trunks and also surfing like third reef pipe on a, you know, 
9-6 gun with no leash, and he was also well-known as an incredible surfboard shaper and craftsman and also a captain of the surf industry in the 60s. And in 1969, he was already kind of on the outs, almost like Lopez was in, Sutherland was in, and his generation was moving on. He was but a total dinosaur. I think he was like 29 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. freaking <laughs> he was old. old. No, he was a bit older than that. But, but he uh, then, you know, but it was the this legendary storm uh, or swell hit in 1969. And apparently it was some of the biggest waves ever to hit, you know, the Hawaiian Islands and, and then eventually California. Um, and it was the day of days and everywhere was kind of closing out, apparently, except for Makaha. And uh, Greg Knoll paddled out, I believe, um, Peter, was Peter Cole out and... There's no, a Buzzy Trent and a couple other people, but Rolf Arnes was out Rolf. there. Wow. Actually. And, um, and uh, I think Aldi Fred Hemmings was on the beach watching. Yeah, I think Fred Fred Hemmings was out as well. Um, and Ricky yeah, Gray, like too, the, I think. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, check it out. Yeah. Yeah. But he he ended up they he ended up staying out while everyone caught waves in, and then this huge set came, and apparently he paddled, stroked in made it to the bottom and then got demolished but survived and uh for those who saw it said it was like 60 feet or 50 feet something massive at that time uh which hadn't been surfed before and it's always you know reverberated in surf history and it's always been referenced especially with talking of big waves and who surfed the biggest wave ever whoever paddled into it and i think that's that limit's been blown past now. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, but that wave up until toe-in surfing, that was the yeah. benchmark. They said, yeah, well, nothing was ever as big as that wave, you know? And they, they yeah. I think the thing that let them get away with it as well was because it wasn't at Waimea where most of the big waves were surfed. So, no, many people saw it, but apparently Sean Thompson was a little grom at the time on the North Shore, North Shore. I think it was his first trip there. And he had his Super 8 camera, and apparently there's footage of it, and he won't release it because he doesn't want to ruin the uh, the myth of it. Uh, Peter Cole once told me he called bullshit on it and said it probably wasn't. He's like, it was only like a 25-foot wave, you know, he told me. So I don't know, but I think that's like a – it's a very interesting story. I think that has to be up there, right? Like that's a really for, – for so long, that was the benchmark for the biggest wave ever surfed. Well, and also it's got all the elements. Yes. You know, it's, it's got all word the elements mouth. that you need. It's no evidence. Mouth, no evidence. It, it had a hero. It was his last wave. This He's, is a guy. You the know, last who, wave he ever surfed. Apparently. Yeah. It was like when Elvis came back to do that 19, same year, you know, when he, yeah. Just, he lost all his weight and came back into that TV pro. You know what? Or it's it's like Michael Peterson's uh, last win at the Stubbies. You know, came yes. back from when he should have been already gone. And uh, yeah, it's he like when Sl like Slater's going to win the next. When Slater wins his next world title, it's going to be a bit like that for people living in the modern times. Freddie Pataccia dropping a ten at Trestles and then retiring after that. It's exactly, <laughs> kind of it's exactly like that. But that, but that was so cool. Not only that. But afterwards, he then just disappeared, you know, to Alaska, then the then like Crescent City, you know, became a fisherman, didn't surf anymore, left the whole surf scene, left his whole life behind, company, business, everything. And 
you know, just went, became a fisherman and disappeared from surfing for a number of years. And that, that even adds to the mystique that adds to the hero's journey. That's totally fucking like Obi-Wan Kenobi going to live in a hut on Tatooine style or, or Yoda living on a swamp planet, you know? And that's the, that's what's even more, what really makes it a legend is that the, the story is very simple and straightforward. He was an old guy, was out of the picture, came back, showed everyone, no, I wrote that I'm going to show all you kids, boom, rides the ultimate wave at the end yes. of the 60s. The 60s ends, it's everything changes, goes from longboard to shortboard. He sells the business, becomes a fisherman in the wilderness. However, the reality is not, that wasn't the reality, as you no. know. Like, the thing is, we don't, obviously what you touched upon, we don't know if that was the biggest wave. What he said since then is, oh, I didn't actually stop surfing. You know, I still surfed. I just didn't really go for the big stuff anymore. He still went out and surfed for a while. He didn't move right away up north. He still lived in SoCal for a bit. He still had Greg Knoll surf. With, but for a while, the, the story was you took the reality tweaked it so it was better and spit it out perfectly well, was... in greg Knoll's the bull book it's very much like how it's presented is yep stop surfing move to washington next chapter what you know alaska you know it was like he didn't talk about oh yeah i hung around the business or whatever it was like next chapter like after that wave next chapter alaska you know so in your head you're like fuck he just dropped it all it's like I'm done. Walked away, and then all the big wave surfers after that were like, "Oh, I can, I can understand why he did that." And many years since then, many big wave surfers kind of talk about doing stuff like that or just walking away from surfing. Yeah, uh, and the thing that. is, he gets. I know. I. It sounds like we're contradicting what I said before. You know, you yeah. can't tell the story. However, his story has been told so much more by other people. I think there's yeah. a lot of people who don't even realize he wrote that book. Like that book for a couple of years was really popular. And now I think if you can get a whole, you know, it's people don't know about that book, it seems like. Yeah. You know who gave yeah. me that book? John Hannon gave me. John Hannon. Yeah. Um, I have on here, I have a really interesting legend that I heard as a kid from Dr. Paskowitz at surf camp. And this is not written. I might be in his book, but it's about Anona, Naona Napoleon, uh, Aaron Napoleon's mother. Uh, she's basically, it's a story about her swimming across, I believe the Molokai channel. And uh, one of the first, I think she was be like the first woman to do it and they talk about how she's swim she's swimming and Aaron Napoleon's paddling next to her and there's this huge tiger shark just following them the whole way and just how calm and relaxed they were and the people in the boat who were following them were freaking out about it and they were just like no problem and I could be ruining this story not telling it fully correctly because it was a long time ago that I heard this but it was it, it started this whole conversation about the amakua and the spirit animal and the Napoleons, the shark, the tiger shark particularly was their spirit animal. And so they always felt very comfortable about it. And I just always loved that kind of story. Um, it, but it goes even further back from there. Apparently in their ancestral line, there was these ancient Hawaiian couple and the wife was pregnant 
And then uh, when she went to give birth and in Hawaii, they would go down to the water and give birth in the ocean because it was actually pain-free and you were upright and you just pull them out and you're in the water. And when she went to give birth, um, there was no baby, just a little shark that came out and swam around her feet. And apparently she gave birth to the shark and that was part of the Napoleon lineage. So that's why they always felt comfortable with sharks and it wasn't the feet, they weren't afraid of them because they knew it was their ancestor. I don't know, I just always loved that story and always stuck out to me as a kid and I've always held on to it. That's a kind of legend. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a nice <laughs> one. That's a really nice one. Um, I think we need to knock you? out some of the other big go, ones that, that most people know that like, yeah. people listening and be like, if you don't mention that, it does, you, you don't right, know what you're talking about. Rattle them off. And, and then also to anyone who's who's relatively new to surfing, if you want to just find out a couple of the, yeah, the, like the main core, the core, the core legends, yeah. you need to know these. And you mentioned it, you know, the dick, I'll rattle them out and then we could talk yeah. about them. You know? And then you rattle some out if I miss them. You, obviously, yeah. you got to mention that you have the Dickie Cross, Woody Brown story. Yes. Uh, the the Jock Sutherland after dark on acid story. I don't think we should tell it. Everyone should go and read it. You know, yeah. go onto the EOS and read the story by Alan. Told by Alan White. It's I've heard it a bunch of times before, but Alan told it really. Alan Weisbeck had told it really eloquently. He wrote and, uh, it really nicely in Surfing Magazine. I believe it was like the ninety two ish, ninety one issue. He wrote about it. The mm, heroes, you can find heroes it issue. Now. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago on the, as a blog on the, the EOS. Um, the, the legend of Mead Hall, you know, on the North Shore. Oh, yes. The Knights of the Round Table, basically. Which is based <laughs> off of like one of the, uh, based off of the, like the, uh, the, the epitome of legends, the King Arthur story, which yes. is a, a real legend. And, and um, I think that, and, yeah, I think that's probably the main four that I could think of. You know, then I've got some, I've got some, uh, some four star ones or three star uh, ones, but I think those are the ones. What else am I missing? One? I've got okay. I mean, these may not be on your on the top top, but well, I think Bill Boyum and the discovery of G Land is uh, Bill and Mike Boyum and discovery of G Land is totally uh, important, incredible, legendary story. Um, the discovery of Neos as well is also great mm. with Peter Troy. I mean, fuck, Peter Troy, legend right there. I mean, there's a legendary travel figure, you know, who discovered and explored all these surf spots in the 60s, apparently introduced surfing to Brazil. Uh, I mean, he was awesome. Uh, I would put um, Derek Hine loses an eye in a heat would be a great <laughs> one. I think his um, time in the hospital is better. Yeah. <laughs> But do you know what my favorite one is? Faces okay. of Death. The Faces of Death story. What's the Faces? Okay, I don't know the Faces of Death story. Oh, What's that? this one is great because I read about it, but I also had it told to me by J.B. Brissick. So back in oh, the- Oh, yes, I know this one. But so, go on, yeah. This is such a good one. So back in the mid 80s, a bunch of U.S. pros, Wes Lane, Jamie Brissick, Doug Silva, and Jeff Booth, they were driving around in, in southwest France in Biarritz and Hossiger, and they were having fun. 
And, uh, you know, they got into pulling handbrake slides behind pedestrians, basically. So they would drive up uh, behind people walking on like the sidewalk even and then pull like a handbrake slide as they got real close. And the person would turn around and see this car coming at them screeching. And that was the face of death right there. Well, they did this a bit and they kept on pushing it more and more, a little bit more, going a little faster. And, you know, Wes was a little nervous. They were going to get out of control and he'd be driving. Jamie would be pulling the handbrake and Boothy would be in the back, just not doing anything. And one time they're driving up and they saw Dave Parmenter. And as they go to do the handbrake on him, they go pull the handbrake. Urgh! He just turns and stares them down. No face of death, just full look of contempt. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> they knew they were in trouble. You know, you can't sneak up on Parmenter, man. <laughs> Does he have more than one facial expression? <laughs> Yeah, well, if you've seen the movie Trouble, you'll see him being goofy. He does. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. The Lisa Anderson film. I, yeah. <laughs> the Lisa Anderson movie with all the candid home videos of him are amazing, actually. <laughs> he does uh, Ace Ventura, I think, and like a couple other imitations are pretty good. <laughs> hey, that, that's a good one. I mean, the Lisa Anderson, Lisa Anderson story. story. That's legendary. a legendary story. Just like very quickly, like she's you know teenager living in you know like pretty Mormon sleepy beach. Florida town, and then she's just like this. Sucks. I don't don't like living here. I don't like my home life. I don't like this. I want to be a surf star. Sixteen writes a letter, bam, runs away in the middle of the night, flies out to the West Coast to become a pro surfer, and you know obviously you know the ending to it's that. It's one of the greatest hero's journeys in surfing. Um, what's amazing about it is not only did she just leave a letter for her mother, basically her father was a, was, a, was a bit of an alcoholic and he was passed out drunk when she left. He was home and she left a note to her mother saying, I'm running, I'm leaving, I'm going to the West Coast. I'm going to be a world champion surfer. And then she ended up doing, went to the West Coast, had this crazy epic hero's journey of living with certain people and other people taking her under wing and mentoring her. And it's, do yourself a favor and go rent trouble. Uh, it's actually probably Chaz Rent? Yeah, rent Tyler. on Amazon or buy, whatever you want Oh, to yeah, you can rent. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Thought, thought you were saying go to the store and rent them. <laughs> go to Blockbuster in Oregon because <laughs> oh! there's only one. Oh, and I miss it. But I would say go rent or watch it because it's at one, it's Chaz Smith's best work of anything he's ever done. Um, but it's also just so well done and such a great story. And her life is phenomenal and interesting. You know, and then there's like this whole story of her giving birth and and requalifying that year that she gave birth, surfing, you know, just after giving birth, I think like only three weeks to requalify. And then that next year, that kid just motivated her and she went on a tear and won four world titles at back to back, back to back. You like how I did that? Back to back to back to back. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it like listening to the, the edge. <laughs> well, I think listeners would think it was like a loop. Um, but uh, yeah, like so fascinating and such a cool story. And it, yeah. And then also on top of that, you know, she, 
she was Roxy clothing and like built this huge brand. There's just so many yeah. offshoot legendary things that happen there. It's, it's really, really good. I'm surprised it hasn't been done in a theatrical uh, sense yet. Cause that would well, make like, a great like, movie. Like, like a musical. No, theatrical, not musical. I... Theatrical where there's acting and thespian and there's dialogue in the script, not a documentary. No, that's what I said, a musical, you know, like on stage and you could have like, um, uh, <laughs> shit. What's... Lisa Anderson, uh... the musical. No, and, and um, Joan Jett and the Runaways could be like the soundtrack. Yeah. You know, they could all <laughs> sing songs from it, you know. Um, and, and that's, it's, you know, you mentioned the, um, the, the, the drinking, you know, and it's, obviously a horrible thing and I don't want to glorify it too much, but it does make for some good legends, like some, well, at least Butch some Van good, good stories. Uh, Who? Butch, Butch Van Artsdale. Butch. Who's Butch Van Artsdale? Butch Van Artsdale in perhaps, but Butch Van Artsdale. Van Artsdale in, you know what I mean? Jeez. All right, whatever. <laughs> Got to get your pronunciation right. Otherwise you're going to have to do penance again. And yeah, but I was thinking, um, yeah, this I've got so many good ones, and ob obviously, uh, you know, like the the Rod Kerr story where oh, with him and uh, Damien Hardman drinking drinking across three continents on one flight. There is that one, but I like the one better where he's you know he he's out late partying in in I think the routes uh, in Spain. Brissick told and, this story, and he's he gets. <laughs> He's swimming in his body surfing in midnight in those clothes with Barton Lynch, which I think would be just, you know, like one, something to be on your bucket list, full stop. And <laughs> to, to body surf in your clothes with Barton Lynch. And then the next day, you know, like he gets up. Just, I don't think he even got up. He stayed up all night, completely just a mess and goes to surf a heat against Richie Collins the next day. And he's he's riding waves to the beach and throwing up and still winning. And he beats Richie. And he's throwing a lot of spray. He's throwing a lot of spray, totally. And then, <laughs> but and then by the you know to then later that night he just he goes and crashes after his marathon. Keith Richards kind of uh, couple of days. And then the, there's a pounding on the door. And the, I think the thing is I always knew that first part of the story. And I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. You know, like throwing up in his heat and still winning. But I think the better part of the story is the ending. I don't know the ending. What was where <laughs> I always just heard the beginning. Brissick told me what happened in the beginning, you know. Uh, so. Well, so, I mean, you know, Richie Collins, like Richie Collins. Was Skeletor. Yeah. And famous, hardcore Christian. And, you yeah, know, like I don't want to go into all the things that he did to avoid doing certain things that were not, you know, Christian or, or whatever his perception of that was but apparently he knocks on the door and this you know he he's a straight edge kind of guy knocks on the door and like they open the door up and he's like right where's Kerbox you know and he's like where's Kerbox and they get him up and like oh Richie Collins the skeleton is here to see you mate and they're like what the fuck does he want and he's holding a bottle of whiskey something like that he's like right you and me aren't leaving this room till this bottle's finished <laughs> <laughs> that is cool that is a cool story totally. i mean that's the thing you hear that and you just think oh, i mean what do you think cool. his collins well intention was there was it to prove something like i can still party with the best or was it to 
like a parent who makes their kid who catches their kids smoking cigarettes and like, oh, you want to smoke here, here, have a whole pack of cigarettes. We're going to smoke a whole pack until they're vomited up and can't get it, you know, don't want to touch it again. <laughs> you know, Richie Collins was was pretty articulate, actually. And he yeah, his when you read about his approach to heats, he was very calculating when he beat Tom Curran at the OP Pro surfed against surfed against whatever it was. He beat him in the semis, I think, or whatever. Yeah. And then he lost maybe to Barton Lynch in the final. Anyway, he studied Tom Curran videos for days and said, or oh, if I just make my turn slightly more. To anyway, I don't think there was any calculation in that. I think that was pure impulse and instinct. He was just like, he just switched into animal mode. Skeletor. Skeletor. All right, I got um, I got a couple other. You know, do you know about the story about Mickey Dora lighting firecrackers under a pregnant woman? At a movie yeah, school? yeah. That one. I think that is a great story because it shows what an asshole Mickey Dora kind of was. <laughs> mm. Like, I when I heard that story, I was like, "Fuck that guy! What the fuck, man?" So apparently, the story goes, it was a uh, Greg Knoll movie screening. And um, Mickey, who rode for Greg Knoll at the time, had the famous Decat model, shows up. And he liked to, you know, do all sorts of pranks. And apparently he was sitting behind this couple. It was a guy and his wife who was pregnant, uh, pretty far pregnant. And apparently Mickey went and slid a firecracker under the seat left the room, let it off, and it exploded under this woman. It wasn't like a big firecracker, but it was like, would scare the crap out of you and potentially make you have, have your baby, basically. <laughs> but that one there, I always just like, oh my God. So, I mean, some yeah, of these yeah, stories are that, great because it, cause it, makes, that one, cause it yeah. makes the reality of like that person shows their true essence. Because everyone glorifies Dora and all his stories and tall tales. And I, I have a, I have a more negative viewpoint on him. I don't, I don't hero worship Dora at all, really. No, I mean he was a beautiful surfer and yeah. interesting to read about. But yeah, and yeah, there are probably good sides to him as well. But that, that definitely wasn't one sure. of them. I mean, How that about- one makes me think of. Have you heard the George Greeno cinema movie theater story? No, which, which- I think is much much funnier and much more clever than that go on and so this one when he was quite young i think in california he he had a friend so george greeno i mean we don't need to go into who george greeno is he's you know <laughs> that's like saying if you don't know oh, go on the eos and do some research because he's important if you don't know you're probably not listening to this podcast we, yes. we shouldn't be pausing to explain everything. Like how but we do, have to give is, some context. We have to give some no, context. This is if you're listening to the EOS joint, that's pretty esoteric. Like, yeah, but you're you're listening. I'm hoping people are listening to learn a thing or two. And so and then be inspired. Oh, so totally. We got to give some context, a little bit of background so that people aren't totally lost. But Greeno is an important surf figure and inventor and many other things. Go on. It would be a bit like if this was a music podcast and we were saying, yeah. okay, so like, you know, Bob Dylan. Now, if you're not sure who Bob Dylan is, he was a poet and a you know, folk <laughs> singer. And anyway, yeah, big, so, big head of hair. So, so, so George had 
a friend who worked at the local movie theater and he let him in the back door he kind of but behind the screen one day and they were watching the film the birds you know the hitchcock yes hitchcock film and george greeno brought a like um a, a rubbish a garbage bag in and just at the right moment when all the birds are attacking and oh god i saw that story it made me sick to my stomach he opens up his garbage bag from behind the screen and a whole bunch of birds fly out into no. the theater <laughs> That's, I thought you were going to say a bunch of moths went up, but that's awesome. And that's and that's holy cool. Crap, that's that would cool. freak you out. Oh, my God. But it's actually to their benefit. You know, like totally. it, it would be scared shitless, but afterwards you'd want to say thank you for that experience. That was a good, like, that was a, he was except giving. Except for the person who has to corral the birds out of the theater. Mm. Oh, that, I think that was his friend who had to do it. Well, but you know what I used to do at movie theaters, right? Like I used to buy a big bag of popcorn on a crowded night and I would have my friends sit first and then I would come in just as like the lights are dimming and I would act like that idiot looking for their buddy and I knew where they were and I would pretend I would have them call out to me and I'd be like, hey, and I'd start walking and I would trip on purpose and just throw popcorn everywhere just for the laugh of everyone in the audience. And now as I'm older, I'm like, that was dick. That was stupid. I just wasted 10 bucks and also made some poor kid clean up all that mess. Oh, you're but, a legend, Tyler. You're a no, legend. I don't know about that. How about um, Kong's handstand on the 15th floor hotel balcony at Burley Heads? I've got the... that as one of my yeah. uh, QSs here. <laughs> That's <laughs> a that great one. one. Just before the stubbies in like 81 or 82, I think it was. First and last hand balcony handstand, apparently. But I mean, yeah, like he was just he. I mean, I know he tells the stories now, but he tells really yeah. good. But for <laughs> he went a long time where other people were telling his stories, and in fact, Gary Elkerton was Gary Elkerton for a, he was playing down his stories for a long time, yeah. and that actually adds to the legend it was almost like because he was kong and then he was gary elkerton he, he had a metamorphosis and it was it, what was great yeah oh god i was talking about bob dylan i remember a friend of mine once saying to me you know like oh when we were younger he said oh yeah yeah it'd be a lot cooler if bob dylan was dead and I said, oh that's a nice thing to say but he said yeah well you know like for the legend you know and i i, I see your point and actually Gary Elkerton actually did kill Kong for a while. And that made the Kong legend that much better. Even better. Totally. Yeah. You're like this guy who all of a sudden became a competitive machine and kind of, I wouldn't say straight lace, but like reprimanded people say, my name's not Kong, it's Gary. And yeah, you want to refer was... to me, it's Gary. Um, and, and really like tight ass, you know, and, and conservative and, you know, like clean cut. Whereas before that, he was just... There was nothing clean about him. Animal. And so confident. And did you, do you I know love... the story that of him at, uh, at the Allentown wave pool event? Uh... That's also very similar to the handstand kind of story. Refresh with the, with the slide. my memory. 
So, so the one you just told is the best one where he's at the event and he's getting psyched up for the events. And this is the one you said, you know, at Burley Heads and he's really up high, like 10th or 11th store. And he 15th a, floor, 15th, 15th floor, floor a handstand on the handrail on the balcony. That's psycho. I mean, there he was in the rip curl suite, by the way. He was in the rip curl suite. Was in the rip curl suite. I mean, there shouldn't have been a Gary Elkerton after I that. Know. But then, uh, <laughs> at the so you know at Allentown event that's you know eighty four the wave pool event in Pennsylvania Dorney might have been eighty five might have been eighty five maybe but like just you know in the really shit wave pool anyway they're all hanging out there I mean these guys making the best of it and it must have been really fun to have all these you know Australians come over there and yeah you know, like rouse the town and that's where the fame the infamous hot buns event happened you know that. <laughs> matt uh, george one um <laughs> that was an old stump question yes but matt george tells this story because he was he was the the man on the scene the man on the beat for this event so while they were kind of hanging out during the week waiting for the surf to pick up mm. um <laughs> there was like a big uh like slide you know water slide that everyone was kind of going up and sliding and it would the slide would not just like spill you out into the water. It would um, come down. And then when it went horizontal on the ground, it like went horizontal for long ways in water until it got to the pool yes. and then it plunged you out. But it kind of like fed right into the surface of the pool. Anyway, everyone's up there and um, and you had to wait your turn. And there was like a guard and everything and anything. It's Gary's, or it's Kong. He was still Kong at the time. It was Kong's turn. So he climbs up there. He looks at the whole thing. He takes off his shorty wetsuit. And like, I, I don't know if he's wearing anything at this point. <laughs> Maybe a pair of budgie smugglers or something Reese? like that. Banana hammocks? He, he puts, so everyone else is sliding it down and falling off and everything. He puts it down on the top of the slide, standing up there, stands on it like he's on a snowboard goes down the slide standing up and then he hit makes it down the slide fair enough you're a pro surfer you should have good balance skills gets down to the the surface water of the pool glides across the whole thing kind of like when you see um you know like kind of uh anyway he glides surfs across the whole pool on his shorty makes it to the other makes it to the wall and tumbles out onto the pavement you know the no way and that's just <laughs> the kind of guy he was you know i i he, love he's it. a legend he's a legend he, definitely well here's his response to the uh the um handrail the handstand on the handrail because i i just i love it because he's kind of nonchalant about it and so mm. matt but like not a big deal like so this is ben marcus talking to him uh so the story goes you did a handstand from the railing of a ninth floor hotel balcony at burley heads it was 15th floor actually this was stubby's contest and i was in rip curl suite i think this was 81 or 82 sorry butchering the language uh were you answering a dare nah just spur the moment thing a little something for the nervous system before heat now it was just a few days before the thing started, just to get in the spirit. If you had lost your balance and gone the other way, you would have fallen 15 stories to your death. I had a pretty good grip on the railing. <laughs> How old are you? I would have been 18 or 19, younger than I am now. Can you still do handstands? No, 
That was the first and last appearance of the handstand, actually. I just love that. It's just... It was very cool. <laughs> uh, now, who do you think, who do yes. you think, out of all the famous surfers that you know, who do you think is the epitome of like nonchalant cool when it comes to Current. harrowing situations? Keep oh harrowing situations. No, 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 no. No, you said Curran. Which Curran? Tom Curran. Pat Curran. Mm. Leanne Curran. Mm. All mm -hmm. of them. Pat Almost. Curran. Yes, Pat is totally nonchalant about it. Yeah. What's your best Pat Curran story? Uh, um, the recent one with him living in the home, <laughs> being almost no, homeless like, said, no, like a like a let. No, um, surfing wise, I mean, I I liked what was it? There was um, there was a story. I'm trying to remember it now because I didn't I didn't put as much Pat in there because I put a lot of Tom because there's a lot of Tom Curran myths and legends and rumors I wanted to go over. But well, uh, then, oh yeah, Pat what's was, your Pat? Pat was I mean just the the you know how they used to um, go, you know, when they were living on the North shore and they used to hunt ducks and they would take the reed <laughs> straw and hide underwater and the duck would swim over and they'd catch them. And then by the end of the winter, it's just all these duck bones outside the, the Mead hall. Like uh, that one, it was always cool. It just made it feel like that was the North shore. You know, I love that one. That was a pretty, yeah. I mean, Mead hall was so cool. Like they just moved into this, they rented this little house a bunch of surfers from wind and sea it's like a hundred bucks for the winter basically yeah and they knocked down <laughs> all the walls and removed all the furniture and they built he built one long you know one long table and benches made you know like surf racks on the walls to hang your boards up like guns and then had a bunch of bunks so they could all sleep it was just one big room and it was just they were all like, right, yeah, we are gonna just hunt waves. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got two little, just little anecdotes that I just Please. think, when, when you talk about Kong's deference to cool, I think the understatement it, it goes a lot. Uh, yeah, this was is better. I mean, the, the 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 quick one. I just like this little one right here was. Um, you mentioned Butch Van Ortsdalen before, who was like King Hell, Charger, Mr. Pipeline, blah, blah, and surfed everything, surfed switch, switch foot, everything. But anyway, apparently the story is he gets to Hawaii one day and the surf is big, you know, Waimea yeah. is breaking and he gets up there and he's, you know, he's not warmed up. He's been living in California all summer, so he hasn't surfed massive waves yet. And he's looking, and he's like, fuck me, these waves are big. But, you know, he had to save face and he's like, shit, I really don't want to go out there. But argh. so he looks around and he's like, oh, man, he's like, you know, what? I don't have a board. So he's like, oh, man, Pat, that looks like a nice board. And Pat's waxing up to go out. And he's like, ah, wish I could join you out there. Uh, you don't mind lending me your board, do you? And the thing is, he's like, no way. I mean, Pat Curran was a perfectionist and, you know, and his boards were like beautiful. Yeah. And and, you know, like this no way you know like he would lend you anything lend him his board well anyway pat's waxing his board and he doesn't even look up he's like yeah sure take it <laughs> calling him out and the whole thing was just like and did nothing else and like butch was like fuck 
And the thing is, <laughs> that took a lot of, that took more bowls than pat, more over, whatever you want to call it, to, than to paddle out, than, than paddling out, because Pat would have desperately wanted to go out there. Why may only breaks a handful times a year? But to like, just for the sake of putting, you know, <laughs> of putting Butch so, in an awful just... place. He's like, you know, yeah, I'll sit on the beach. Yeah, it's worth it. But, but the other it's story, dry which, humor. Which, which also, which, which, you know, I'll never tell my kids this one because it's not good for your health is that, you know, you know, Tom Zahn, Tom Zahn. Yeah, Tommy was, Zahn. Was, you know, also, you know, real, you know, 40s, 50s kind of guy, like Pioneer. top surfer but super fit, like, yeah, you know, and this is in the 50s when, when people were didn't into he, fitness, but not I mean, the like Cat, he won the Catalina uh, contest. Didn't he win it a few times too? the paddle? Yeah, he was like, a crazy paddler. He was fucking Catalina wine Tom mixer. Blake, Tom Blake. Yeah, he was a vegetarian um, and he was super buff. He fame. Actually, this is a legend in itself. You know who he, he went out with when he was young. Marilyn. Marilyn Monroe. So, yeah. And a reason Jerry Lopez called him the best surfer ever because he got to <laughs> surf with Marilyn. And uh, not the dubious Marilyn they're talking about in the news right now. No. Um, anyway, anyway, so he's like super fit, the Laird Hamilton of his, of his era as far as fitness goes. He even yeah. looked a bit like him, blonde, like too perfect looking, trained all the time. Anyway, he's down at uh Almawana, i think and he's in the summertime and he's talking to all of them and he's like talking about lecturing everybody on fitness and everyone's just like oh god shut <laughs> up and and he's like man i can blah, 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 and i won the catalina classic if you train like me you can do this as good anyway i think it was i don't know if he challenged or if pat said hmm I bet I could paddle faster than you. And he's like, <laughs> ah, you? And he's saying this. He looks at Pat. And meanwhile, of course, Pat was fit. But Pat's standing there with a, with a cigarette in one hand and a beer in the other. And Tom just falls over laughing. He's like, no way. And of course, you can see where this story ends up. Yeah. And just, just uh, yeah. School's Very up. cool. So there you go. Pat Curran. Love it. I love it. I um I have lots of Curran stories because Curran is just so I mean the Curran lineage is just mythological and legendary. I would my head I would be like, oh, they're kind of like the Skywalkers, you know, of Star Wars or something, maybe. That's my opinion. But um, but like Curran, it's like stickler stickerless board, losing Except checks. Tom Curran's more like Yoda. Maybe. Obi-Wan, he could be an Obi-Wan. Give me that little thing, you know, when he wants uh, Luke's tr snack, you know. I can yeah. <laughs> Jedi Knight, you want to be. <laughs> anyway, you have the stickerless board, is losing check stories, uh, fireball fish in Bawa, first wave at J Bay, current versus Aki at Bells 86, current versus Aki OP Pro. Uh, I mean, versus hoy Kern versus hoy on the on the on the rick fish you know uh i mean it's just there's so much i mean being stuck in mexico during covid and surfing a point break all by himself and making a movie called free scrubber out of it like Kern is is just 
built all these great stories. They're amazing. Uh, in the stickerless board at Wyland Gallery Pro, there's lots of things about it. Like, oh, I didn't have stickers to put on at the time and the boards arrived late. And so he paddled out. But then he questioned, you know, it questioned sponsorship and surfing. And his whole thought process was, well, I'm synonymous with OP. They don't need my logo on this board. So it was like this whole questioning of sponsorship at the same time, absent-mindedness. And he just left it kind of ambiguous too, how he answered a lot of it. And always kind of was like, oh, I kind of forgot, but also what if we, why do we need to wear, have these stickers and all these things? So he muddled it, lost his sponsorship with OP, but it opened the door to rip curl in the search. Well, and, and that's what, what you just said there is, it hits the nail on the head, why he's so legendary. You know, and someone once wrote about him, they said he's a bit like a mirror who mm -hmm. reflects your projections onto him. He can be whatever you want him to be because he doesn't tell his stories. He doesn't explain things. He just does his thing. And it, and then it just allows you to make up shit. And that's the thing, you listen to people talk about him and they say stuff and I'm like, mm, that's your take on it. But I read yeah. something, I, I don't think, I don't agree with you. And we could both be right or we could both be wrong because he's not gonna spell it out for you. And that's what makes him so legendary. He's an enigma. You know, I mean, it's the, the, you know, he had this story about how he like won like a few checks in Australia and just totally was like haphazardly kept losing it. And Sonny Miller kept being like, Tom, here are your checks, you know? And these were like big checks, some of them. <laughs> and he just kept losing them and was it was very absent minded about it or, or aloof even. And his, the heat with him and Aki at Bells is just like the best because. First, Matt Warshaw narrates it in Surf Into Summer. And that just, when he's like, Aki can make it happen. You know, you just kind of like get goosebumps. Matt, you gave us goosebumps when we were kids. And that like made it big. But then Derek Hind writing about it. But then Matt, Matt George's recanting of the 86 Bell's Heat is the best. Because he's like writing what's going on inside Tom's head or he's inferring what tom is thinking he's about. doing what we were just talking about yeah. he's projecting it. he's totally projecting but it's but yeah, so probably well the th probably the thing that is the best is i mean you put matt's voice over anything and it just makes it 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 it, it, it it's like turbocharging the the, the moment you know i mean like i want to have you know like if if i ever make like a, a little film about my kids or something like that to give them on their 18th birthday i'm, I'm going to send it to matt to narrate it because i think it'll just bring tears to the eye. It's just so much better with his voice on it. I love it. Um, what, uh, what else do you got? Cause I mean, I got, I mean, I can keep going, but I, <laughs> I mean, there's like everything from Eddie I cow saving the bus and down the door crew, which has been done perfectly in drunk history. The uh, TV show. Oh, well, maybe that's, that's an idea. Like, Maybe we should tell some people where to go to find some of these great stories. So and that, that's history. a good one. Tell, tell that real quick, because that is very good. The, the well, two, yeah. basically, Rabbit uh, wrote an article called Busting Down the Door, Ran and Surfer. And it was very braggadocio, very brag and talking about how they're coming out of Hawaii and they're teaching the Hawaiians how to surf the waves now. They're trying to ride the waves like shortboards. And, you know, it was a real affront to Hawaii. Well, although, Hawaii actually... Culture. I mean, I've you've read that article, right? Yes. Yeah. He, it's not, not like as, that. No. It's not. And, but it was taken out of I'm, context. A I'm lot gonna. Of things... I'm, 
I'm going to come in here and I know some people have stood up for him before, but I'm going to do it again because yeah. the, the, if you read busting down the door, it's just an analysis of what's going on at the time. And he, he says lots of great things about the Hawaiians, about everyone. And it's just yeah. an analysis. And the one quote that got taken out of context was busting down the door. And he said, you know, right now, if you want to enter the pro events, it's all invitational. And if you want to get invited, you have to, you can't just knock on the door, you have to bust down the door. Yeah. And then Art Brewer was such a, a, a great photographer and someone who gets you to do things you might normally not. He gets Rabbit to do this, you know, cool, you know, like Rebel yeah. Yell Charge wearing this. And then that got sent and that just rubbed people the wrong way. Whereas that was, in, so that was a response to another article by, yeah. Have you read Jerry Lopez's Attitude Dancing? No, I haven't. So actually. in the issue before, or I don't know if it's the issue before, but earlier that year, Jerry Lopez wrote a great article for Surfer as well called Attitude Dancing, which was very similar. It was a a, a summary of where it, it was the state of the union, basically. It was the mm -hmm. state of the art of surfing at the time. And he was describing the Australians versus the Hawaiians. Now I read that article and I read that and I was saying, whoa, you're having a dig at the Australians. Like mm. he was having a real dig at the Australians and saying, you guys are lacerating, tearing up where's where all the Hawaiians Flow are more smooth and, and regal. Yeah. And I read that. <laughs> and of course, Jerry does it in a very, very eloquent and polite way, but it's still, I read that. And I was like, if I was Australian at the time, I was like, fuck that man, shut up. Whereas when I read Rabbit's article, I thought it was more balanced. But yeah. um, but I think I think the article just is the picture. And also the fact that I think, you know, he dropped in on um, Barry Kaniapuni. Yeah. In, in, and that, you know. And, and he didn't, it didn't help that he had Ian Cairns being a loud mouth and a few other people mm. who were who were mouthing off and. You know, and, and also it was part like, of a bigger story. You watch it's, it's, it's a bigger you watch context. Bust Another Door. Yeah, it puts yeah, in watch context. the movie. Bust but another but door. I just want to say that the article wasn't bad. No, but but <laughs> basically the Hawaiians took offense to it and threatened to, you know, beat the crap up or kill even like a lot of the Aussies and South Africans that were coming over to the North Shore at that time, particularly Rabbit and Ian Cairns, who were hiding in the Turtle Bay Hilton with their tennis rackets as weapons. And that is the <laughs> best part of the story. <laughs> I know. It's so good. And uh, But that one, uh, Drunk History, does a wonderful version of it. It's really hilarious. Um, what uh, what else do you got here? What do you? Oh, what do I you... I've got like a lot of. Uh, I had the birth of nose riding. You know how that started. Okay, no, do that one. Ah, well, it's told by Bev Morgan, and basically, uh, let me see if I can even find it because there's that, and there's also, I mean, how many Bob Simmons stories? There's also the bottle, the disappearance mm -hmm. of Bob Simmons, but basically. It was Dale Velzi, 1951, and uh, where were they? They were surfing uh, Manhattan Beach. And basically everyone at that point would just surf, stand in the middle and trim. And if you were getting fancy, you'd maybe stick your foot out to turn the board or something. And all of a sudden they just saw Dale Velzi riding across this wave and he walked up to the front quarter of the board, which no one had done. He was standing three feet ahead of where everyone was standing. They were like, whoa. And then the next wave, he was up even further and all of a sudden started hanging five. 
And then by the end of the day, he was hanging 10 and everyone was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And that changed everything. And that's the beginning of nose riding, apparently. I mean, right, I like that's that. a, Dale Velzi is just full stop the, you know, a legend. He's a legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dale Velzi, there's a great uh, book, you know, that he has a hawk and it's worth uh, checking out and reading because there's a lot in there. Um, Paul Holmes wrote that, right? Exactly. So um, that one is yeah. really good. Uh, Bob you- Simmons' disappearance at uh, is also a big one. You know, um, let's say he. I mean, he. It bird rock drowned at Windensee or bird rock apparently. Bird rock right around there. Yeah. Yeah, and a big day. They just didn't see him again, and he was like, if he had, if he had been alive. Like he would have been like, had he kept living, I mean, he would have advanced surfing probably another 10 years, like would have been much more ahead of everyone, I think, and would have changed the sport even more so. Because he was well, so Joe, inventive. Joe, Joe Quigg might disagree with that, I think. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. You know, it was his Malibu chipboards that uh, really set things off, didn't they? Well, that's because like Simmons was into speed, like straight ahead yeah. speed, you know, where's Quick and well, and Velzi eventually went into turning and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, you know how the Malibu chipboard started? You know, Quig shaped it for his wife uh, or, or girlfriend. The, the, the Darylin board, Darylin yeah. Zuck, Zucker, I think was her name. Her dad was like a big movie producer, made her yeah, a he shaped it for board. her. Yeah, and that changed everything. That made the boards renewable and everything. So it was a huge advancement. Well, it's interesting, you know, reading, uh, you know, so much about Ben Iper lately and them talking about, you know, all the boards that Mark Liddell and um, Buttons, Kaluyo Kalani were, were riding and they, you know, they were ripping, but they weren't scoring the highest scores in any contests and stuff because so many people looked at it and said, oh, if you can turn so easily, it, it's not hard. It's not a yeah. high. Uh... They made it look too easy. Yeah. And that seems like, no, this board is, this is what you should be riding. You know, it's, it is, that's a good thing. You know, when it's you like, see... ah, power steering. <laughs> Why, when I was a kid, we didn't have power steering. What do you want that for? You know? So... Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, dude, I mean, button surfing. If you watch footage of it, it's just so futuristic. It's crazy when you watch it. And you're like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> he traveled in time. Um, um, a couple more stories, um, other yes. quick ones, you know, like uh, just, just to throw it out there for mention. Joe Engel, you know, the Australian yes. who was contemporary of Tom Carroll. but Hard uh, act to follow, yes. <laughs> make it easier. It's from Storm Riders. And, and, and he won Bell's. But the story of him, uh, you know, Derek Hine tells it where he's at a party and Frank Lauder from Bill Bong, well, it wasn't Bill Bong at the time, said, oh, mate, you don't want to go in that room. He's like, what? What is he talking? You don't want to go in there. So he goes back into the room and there's a whole bunch of people standing around just waiting for Joe to do it again. And it's like, what happened here? And they're like, mate, look at the wall. And there's footprints up the wall. And then up to the, what's it called? The crease where it meets the ceiling and a few footprints on the ceiling. And apparently he was doing all, off the lip re-entries on the wall. That's your AS, that's from the ASL uh, mag, right? Because they yeah, I remember well, actually, seeing a cartoon that was, of that too. I saw like a drawing of that. It's great. But the, the detail is in the Andrew Kidman interview with Derek. Oh, um, 
So I want to bring up quickly, you know, I put a post Wait, one, on it. One real, yeah, one, go real on. quick one, real quick Yeah, go one. for it. How did, oh, here's a, a, oh, maybe I should keep it as a stump. No, a, a little pre-stump, a warm-up. How did oh, Bob right. McTavish, when Bob McTavish, before he made lots of money, well, I don't know if he ever did make lots of money, but before <laughs> he, when he was kind of just kind of sweating it out as a journeyman shaper, how did Bob McTavish pay for his drinks at the pub or his round? I don't know. He would eat a spider and the people would be like, oh, oh. fuck that, mate. I'll get you around. <laughs> Anything for a drink. Um, I wanted to read, I, I put out some, um, I put out a feeler on Instagram of like get people's thoughts on their favorite myths, legends, and rumors. So I wanted to give some mentions of some of the people who responded. So I thought some of them were pretty good. So surf ads, my buddy at surf ads at surf ads, he talks about comp at Burley right on the buzzer MP pulled into an unmakeable barrel as new heat started on the buzzer rabbit took off on the same wave further down the line and got an amazingly deep barrel only for MP to come out uh, of him behind him. Yes, I, yeah, I, I like that. I one. love that one. That's great. Chris, and Cote- the, the companion one to that, that, that yes. Derek Hine told once was that, oh, I don't know if it's the same story, but I don't think it was where MP was surfing and there was a, comp- there was a heat going on maybe a Kira or Burley or somewhere like that. And he took off on a wave out, out past the, the contest site, pulled yeah. into the barrel, was completely hidden from view and popped out the other side after he'd left the contest area. <laughs> but technically, he never interfered with the heat. Never interfered. He was hidden the whole way. <laughs> um, Chris Cote put this cryptic one, and I, I, he didn't give full detail, but I like three perfect tens on three hits of acid. And I responded, is this uh, referring to a former pro that rhymes with Bane Session, which I would say is Shane Beshin, who got the three perfect tens at Kira mm, uh, back in- done, done for slander there, Tyler. I don't know. That, I don't know. I've said, I don't know if that's him or not, but I, if he, he's the only person I know of that's gotten three perfect tens in a heat. Do you know what? I think that would be a bloody intense trip. Oh, yeah. Acid with Shane Beshin? Acid with Shane Beshin would be really intense. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> I think it would be like uh, definitely, definitely push your psychic uh, skills like, to the limit. Just like he, he's got that Southern California voice where he's just like, yeah, just like to go out, get waves. Ah, oh, no, it's really nice. Oh, but he's intense. He's intense. He is intense. He is intense. Yeah, yeah. Especially no, when he won the 94 US Open and that look on his face when he want, holds a trophy over his head. He's just like death daggers to the crowd. Um. So here's another one. Um, this one from Pro Surf Coaches Official. The Sunset Cliffs crew stealing and hanging David Nueva's version of their beloved fish design before the 72 surfing championships at Ocean Beach Pier. This is where they took his fish and fucking nailed that motherfucker to the pier. Said, don't take our fucking designs. This is our, our design over here. I was going into like a Goonies, Goonies kind of quote that didn't work. Yeah, because he didn't, he didn't give, he didn't in like a Bing ad or something like that. He took credit for his new design. Yeah, 
totally just oh don't fuck with sunset cliffs tell you that um danny tomorrow thinks that ricky raz is still alive ricky rasmussen is always the rumor that he's Mm. still alive i don't think that's true but um and my our my friend hanger he he wrote about the jock surfing uh you know on acid and mickey dora the legend of mickey dora and his quicksilver partnership curious about that one uh and then Schultz, John Schultz, Dubstar, our good old friend and surf historian in, in his own right, talks about Dickie Cross and Woody Brown. Of course, that's a really important story. You you know that one, right? Yeah. I mean, that one. They were surfing uh, North Shore. Swell came up. They paddled over to YMA to try to go in. Uh, big wave came, uh, took both of them out. Woody came up, but could never saw Dickie again. Yeah, this I was think like 1930 and, and I think, or 30s it, or 40s was this? You kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? And I think in the in the encyclopedia, I think it's it's written nicely. It's a good just check it out. It's 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 yeah. it's a it's a good story and pretty harrowing and a bit sad, definitely sad, sad. And, and and scary. Like you feel it, like it really puts you there. Now I don't want to go into too much detail, but this guy, but I was reading, and I know you've read it too. Um about uh, uh shit what's his first name <laughs> eric yeah. haas oh eric i was i was thinking about him this whole week that guy is misto he's crazy so interesting i wonder where he is now i know because that you know jeff johnson wrote that good article on him in, in surfer's journal in uh, the late 90s and um you know and he he mentioned a time when he just, I mean, the thing is, he got to search this up. I, I, that's the only time I've ever heard about him. And I lived yeah. in Hawaii afterwards and I don't remember hearing about him then, but, and at the time I thought they were making this guy up, just this guy who's supposedly the best big in the nineties. They said he's the best big wave surfer in the world, but no one had ever heard of him. And he was kind of he paddled always, out with football, football gear, like a football Jersey and shit, you know? Yeah. Like, he sounded like he had some, I don't know, something up with him or if he was living homeless or something. And I don't know. But, and, and one story was he'd been up partying one night woke up the next morning and paddled out at Phantoms, you know, all the way by V-Land, which is all the way up the North Shore. And then he gets out and he's like, oh, this is a little bit bigger than I thought it would be, man, brah. <laughs> and then he, so he's like, damn, I can't go in now. So you had to think, huh. well, the only way to go in was at Waimea, just like what happened to Woody Brown and Dick Cross. They paddled out at sunset and it got bigger and bigger and they got stuck out there. They couldn't paddle it in. And Waimea is a, it's nice and deep. So you think that's the safest place to paddle in. And what he did, he did paddle in there and he took off on some big waves. But uh, anyway, Eric Haas is worth digging deep out there. Totally. Really interesting, uh, eccentric stories for sure. A couple other honorable mentions. Um, Rainbow Bridge. Anyone? That one's the film. interesting. Yeah, the film and how it came about and the brotherhood of, you know, like all of that shit is nuts. And fucking Jimi Hendrix coming to Maui to play like, fuck. Look at uh, that. Do, up, do, do you have uh, Mike Hinson's autobiography? No. I've got it. I'll, I'll, next time we're allowed to see each other, I'll, I'll give it to you. It's, it's, it tells all about that, man. <laughs> how about um, a couple others? Um, 
Aki 92 meltdown is pretty interesting where he buried his boards in the sand on the beach in, in Lacanau or in France. And then, you know, didn't really have a place to stay and then came back next day and uh, the beachcomber or whatever ran over his quiver and stunted his whole momentum. Basically he was requalifying at that time. Um, you know, Aki, his whole, his whole journey is a hero's journey. It's kind of amazing, you know, going from fat to thin and coming back is also really incredible. Um, gosh, yeah, there's, it's crazy. This, I mean, we could go on and on about this, but well, I know, I know you got to get going. There's, yeah. There's a- and I think it's, you know what time it's for. Ah, dumb. Wait, but, but real quick, we just got quickly throw out, oh, like just throw bam, it out. bam, and just, we got to mention throw it out there. I mean, the, you got to say like, who are actually, well, one thing we, we didn't talk enough about, I think if you ever read anything about the wind and sea crew in the 50s yes. and 60s, there's tons of legendary stories, crazy stories, stories. And if you read about, if you ever read about Blah James, the psycho Hawaiian no. violent dude. Oh, man. Yeah, just go <sighs> Surfer's Journal or the Mike Hinson book. If you read up stories about Blah James, <laughs> have you ever read about Gene Tarzan Smith? The, the super paddle guy who got into loads of fights and stuff in the 40s or 30s and stuff. No, this I've guy, only heard the name and know right, a little Gene, bit about. Was it Craig Lockwood, again, in the Surfers Journal, has written a, um, a two-part biography on him. Crazy shit. This guy's life is just... You would love it because you love that era as well, Tyler. You know, kind of oh. like post-depression era kind of thing. Um, you know, Peanuts Lawson... Um, you know, Whitey Harrison, all those guys, you know, you got to um, Lauren I mean, Harrison. These guys are legends. Lauren Harrison, uh, Dana Point crew. I mean, gosh, I mean, you know, um, there's um, also like tons, apparently going through the, you know, the myth, legends and lies, rumors, surfer issue. Tons of Flippy Hoffman stories. Tons of flip, <laughs> Flippy Hoffman. Oh, my stuff. gosh. Definitely. Joey Cabell, uh, bullfighting. Hello. Yep, yep, yep. Like, dude, it's just, it's insane how many awesome stories there are in surfing. And, oh, and also one other, sorry to jump yeah, in. Just No, um, this is great. If you want to listen to another part, someone else's podcast, God forbid. Did you listen to the Ain't That Swell one where they had Nathan Hedge on? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so everyone about him paddling oh. out to cloud break in the middle yes. of the night. Dude. Listen to that is awesome. That story. <laughs> Don't we're not going to tell you about. It. You have to go to their podcast and listen to it. It's awesome. And then what's the drink called on um, that they have there? The Skull Dragon or whatever that <laughs> they have to drink out of a skull gets you oh, all God. messed up. How about the Kelly Slater Andy Irons fight on Nomotu? Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, watch Flying the Champagne. Uh, it's on that. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, it's on- and then uh that one's really good um but any andy irons and slater i mean there's just tons of little stories about that like slater coming in just before the pipe final the day before and looking for cj hobgood to go golfing even though he wasn't there and andy was there and that was all you know uh sherman covered that um god like um Oh, so you mentioned Mike Boyum, not so yeah. Bill Boyum and Mike and oh, Bill Boyum. I said both. No, of them. but I know, but Bill Boyum and I think his name is Bob Lafferty. They Bob Lafferty, just, yeah, 
yeah, that story that that of them that Bill Boyum tells yeah. of discovering Gene, great story. And then Bob Lafferty died at um, surfing at I think he had an uh, I think he had um, uh, a seizure surfing mm-hmm. at, at um, Uluwatu, but I'm not sure and died. Um, but Mike Boyum's death, you know, like God, buddy, it, like, it, it, that's cloud a crazy nine in the Philippines. Story. Oh my gosh! Like legend. all the drug smuggling. How about Search of Captain Zero? You know, uh, Alan Weisbecker's book. I mean, just all the drug smuggling tales that they, you know, did. You know, back in the seventies, and you know that was like kind of a foundation for the movie for the show Miami Vice. Even you know, like. Uh, yeah. Just, oh yeah, and he he wrote the screenplays yeah, for some I, of them, didn't he? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, and uh, that, and with the things we haven't mentioned, you know, I mean, the thing is, so Wayne much. Lynch oh. was such, and also he was such a legend because, you know, when he was, uh, you know, trying not to get drafted into Vietnam and he was hiding. I mean, that must at the time, he must have been such a massive legend because people didn't know where yeah. he was, and it wasn't. It was also he's a you know he's a quite. Quiet person. Quiet person, but also out of necessity, hiding from the police. I mean, that that at the time, like the legend of Wayne Lynch, he was oh. like a real live legend. How about how about this? He told me once uh, when I interviewed him, he was telling me this story how he was going to meet his wife's uh, parents for the first time for Christmas, and he got word there was a big swell coming, and he just basically didn't even tell her just disappeared into the bush for like two months <laughs> just didn't tell her anything and then came back and gosh they're still married <laughs> that that was in the film his film yeah that was in the film. yeah uh, it's like create like i remember asking him be like what like how does your wife how is she cool with that <laughs> like if i did that i would be <laughs> I know, but you're not Wayne Lynch. I mean, no, I'm definitely that, not that Wayne is, Lynch. The thing is, that's his uh, as his bread and butter. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, what he's so, okay. so let's uh, let's go into. Oh, we haven't mentioned Tom Blake. Oh, Tom Jesus. Blake's a legend There's too. So much Tom Blake. Yes. Yeah, and Sean Briley's a legend too. And okay, the last thing, which is really bad. I'm not going to say anymore. It's the capper. What the hell? How come we haven't mentioned any women besides Lisa Anderson? Oh, true. That's that's a very good point. It's a lot of it. A lot of it is definitely not has not been covered in media, so it's hard to find and sift through. Unfortunately, um, yeah, it really sucks. You know, there's a you know there are um, I know there's lots of amazing stories. I mean, uh, watch the movie Girls Can't Surf, and they're they're all littered in there. I mean, oh, all right, here's one. P- Pauline Menser, fucking like paddling out at sunset in 93 to win the world title with her really bad rheumatoid arthritis. Like it was so painful for her. She could barely walk, goes into the final. She had to, had to do well at this comp and like paddled out and won, you know, all on adrenaline. Like, dude, uh, you don't hear many stories of guys doing that. Come on. That is tough, man. That is amazing. Such a cool totally. story, actually. Totally, and you don't uh, hear many stories amazing. of people. You don't hear many stories of people standing up to Johnny Boy Gomez like Jody Cooper. Jody did. Cooper, dude. I mean, come on. Like, there's, yeah, sister, yeah. not dude, sister, uh, sister. Sorry, I can't help it. It's a habit there. 
Um, yes, you're right. And there's a lot more to unearth, I'm pretty sure. And and I hope I hope media covers it and you know, we will if you know, as it comes out. Um, all right. But yeah, so we you, need to move on because you are not Wayne Lynch and you got I am not to Wayne Lynch. To. Yes. So you know what time it is? It's time for Stomp, Stomp My, my Road. So, Jaime, what you got for me? You want me to go first? Yeah. Eh? Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, to try and balance things out, I did pick a legend who was a woman. Um, right. So that's a clue. Yeah. Uh, she was the first person to bodyboard at Waimea Bay. And she was oh, badass. I, and I she was she was someone who, you know, didn't, you know, basically was like what we described Pat Kern, you know, just totally nonchalant yeah. about it. Described, hey, you know, when she was interviewed, why do you surf? Why do you surf? I know who you're talking about Why do you surf such big waves? Oh, you know, just good exercise, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's fun. And <laughs> it's just, you know, just like basically all the macho bullshit she just put to to rest. And uh, yeah. Um, Betty something. Is that it? Oh, Bonsai Betty Depolito? No, no. no. Uh, she, oh. she was I know who you're talking about, too. She's been in numerous surf movies highlighted, too. And I, I can't remember the name. I'm going to have to take a pass on this. Okay. There's a Phyllis Dameron was the name. Of was Phyllis Dameron Albrecht. All and right. I remember when I was in the 80s, there was just, in, I think in the early 80s, you probably saw more pictures of her. And I know in the Style Masters videos by a spider Yes. Uh, Great movie series. Ah, uh, quick. I'm, I'm having a brain fart. Spider Wills and Greg Weaver. Greg Weaver, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, like listen, that. She's in that, and um, but yeah. Anyway, that's my right. stuff for you, Tyler. Okay, you ready? It's a quote. You have to name who said this quote. It should be fairly easy. I only surf for competition. I like to Richard surf for Collins. Fun. <laughs> Come on, Tyler, you gotta work harder at this. This is not okay. Every time you come up with these obvious questions, you have at least two weeks each week to come up with something that is a challenge. <laughs> I just want to make it? you look you good. You want to pause it and no. go get something. No, no, no. Okay. Um, how about this one then? Who? Who won the opening event of 1991 ASP season? Well, that's just a weird question. That's not an yeah. interesting well, question. Well, answer it. It is interesting. Is it? I don't know. I don't Ryan Alligich. Ryan oh, yeah. Alligich. Everyone's like, oh, okay. Who? All right, well, who? here's the quote. Who, who said when they found out that Ryan Alligich won it, who was the person? I, who the fuck is Ryan Alligich? I believe it was maybe Damien Hardman. Who said nope, that? Gary or Elkerton. Barton Lynch? Gary, was, Gary yeah, Elkerton. Yeah. Come on, Tyler. <laughs> Make me look bad. All right. Pause it. Pause it. Go the No. <laughs> no. I mean, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got some, I got you last time anyway. You couldn't answer it. So I don't think you did. I think I did. Oh, you, you asked me a question. I answered it right away, I remember. Oh, you sure? Last time? Last show? Yeah. I'll go look it up. And I'll yeah, look it up. Look it up, buddy boy. 
All right. Well, that was our Sunday joint episode. We hope you enjoyed myths, legends, rumors, and lies. Uh, I did love, by the way, in Surfer Magazine, how they took all the the rumors and just debunked a bunch of them. They were pretty good, too. They're on our Instagram mm-hmm. if you want to follow it. Um, Sunday Joint is a uh, encyclopedia of surfing adjacent surf podcast, and we are distributed by Surf Splendor. And uh, Jamie, you want to close this out? Any any good, fun, legendary stories of your own you want to share? <laughs> I got a legendary story about the Brewer Brothers during a hurricane swell in Long Beach. Remember that time? And no but one then, is paddling then you know out because you're. It's another talking story. About you it, you can't it. make if you're gonna tell a story about yourself, it has to be depreciating. You can't tell a story that makes you look good, like. The story about, like the story that I tell the most about myself is me getting lost in my underpants in the rainforest and being not lost at all, actually, but thinking I was lost. And my girlfriend saying, Jamie, what are you doing running around your underpants? That's a good story. <laughs> or the phantom tell, shit. I love the phantom shit story. The phantom shit story. <laughs> but if you tell stories that big yourself up, Tyler, that's, Curran would never do that. That's your lesson, Tyler. If you want to be a legend, you got to stop trying to tell stories that big yourself up. Stop trying. stop trying. All right. Well, thank you for that. We hope you all enjoyed, and we'll all catch you next time. You. With tales of brave Ulysses, how his naked ears were tortured by the sirens.